Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online services. We are so excited to have you here today. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And if you wanna watch this message again or some of our other messages, you can always look us up on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. You know, it's the American church that, ha that can sometimes lean into the American dream that ends all of its stories, they lived happily ever after. But it's the Jewish story that gives us the lament. And there's a reason why there's three chapters for lamenting. And the, the Bible even says this in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep. I had the incredible honor of being with that family when that young boy was, uh, was in the hospital and was in the room with them when he was removed off life support. And just sitting around there, there was just such a beautiful presence of God. And uh, it, if anyone's qualified to teach grief share, it is Marcel and Vivian, and that he has lost uh, a spouse and has remarried, and Vivian and him are married now. He, uh, she not only lost her father, but just recently lost her mother. And I would say this, when it comes to grief, maybe in your life right now, you're going through a season where you lost somebody, and you're like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, if you haven't grieved, you're not okay. What you're doing is, is you're stuffing it. You're stuffing it. And coming up, I believe it's this coming weekend, Saturday. Please give me the exact on that. I think there's a slide up. Is there a, maybe so? Is the slides give the details? Forgive me. Nope. So for those of you watching online and those of you that are here, if you've lost anybody within the past five, maybe even 10 years, and you've never grieved that. This Saturday from 10 to 12, Grief Share is having this, that special event. I'll be joining them as they graduate, a group of people that went through it. But this event is just that one session to deal with the empty chair at the holiday season. And I'm telling you, you will be so deeply, richly blessed. And am I correct in stating that uh, divorce care is the same and the day before from 7 to 9, sorry, we've got to get our coordination here, information. I don't have it at the tip of my hands. But the, before that divorce care, if you've ever been through a divorce, if the Bible says the two become one flesh, then there's a lot of ripped hearts and lives walking around. And uh, that, that is just a great, great service for you to go to and just be able, even, even to just go back and just tie off that knot in your life and move forward. And if you're in the middle, if you're watching online, if you're here uh, in service and you have gone through that painful experience um, and you're, you know, there's so much to consider, your children, your grown children, we just encourage you to participate in that. But it really brings up a question in all of this. Where, where's God in, in death? Where's God in suffering? And I think the classic phrase you would always hear, if God is good, then why is there evil in the world? If God is all-powerful, why wasn't he powerful enough to stop this situation? And what I want to talk with you the next couple of weeks, interestingly enough, is about God and that question that we have. I never like using the phrase 
devil's advocate because he, he doesn't have the right to advocate for anything. Jesus is our advocate at the right hand of the Father. But somebody used that word properly this week, and, and as I was preparing this message, they said to me, can I just play devil's advocate for a minute? It, what, what about, what would you say to somebody who says, well, if God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he's all-seeing, then, then why did I lose this person? Why did my marriage end in divorce? Why are my finances in such a difficult place? Why do I have this sickness or disease? And we could just go from why to why to why to why to why. And before we can answer that, we have to really get a proper perspective of who God is. If you, if you and your perception of God, or uh, I don't want to say your God because it makes it sound like God has variations. There is no change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, and the, the real challenge with our perspective of God is that we look at him from our point of view instead of his point of view, from Scripture's point of view, from God's perspective and God's truth. And what I want to do is, is take you up to higher ground here this morning and give you a vantage point of specifically what I want to talk with you about in my message here is how big is God? And what does that mean for you and me here? So if you join me in prayer, we're going to ask God to blow our minds here from his words found in Isaiah chapter 40. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you did not leave us without a voice, without truth, without a measure without a standard. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just take my words here this morning, take our hearts and minds here this morning, and hewn out a deeper capacity for understanding you. I just pray that we would get a perspective in our life of who you are and what that means for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read it for you. It's random passages, and they're going to be up on the, the screen, but I'm going to read them here for you so you can turn there. It's actually in the, I think this is the NIV. It could be the ESV. I'm not quite sure. Isaiah chapter 40 starts with these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now stop right there and look at me real quick. What you have to understand about the book of Isaiah is Isaiah is a prophet. He is in the palace of the king. He's considered the prince of prophets, He's probably the most influential, stainless, regal, classiest, elegant prophet that ever walked the land of Israel. His prophecies about Jesus are unbelievably accurate. His message to the land is unabashedly corrective, and his, his encouragement is so direct and to the point of true comfort and true correction, it's just, it's mind-blowing. And if you've never read the book of Isaiah, I encourage you to, to start that journey with just reading this chapter today. In fact, I would say your homework here would be read Isaiah 40 today, even after hearing this message, and let God speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit expand. Let the Holy Spirit apply that truth to your situation in your life. So you're saying, I don't know what to read in the Bible today. Isaiah 40, it's a no-brainer. But the reason it starts out with comfort, comfort my people is because the first 39 chapters, God was correcting, correcting his people. 
And he didn't limit it just to Israel. He talked to Babylon and Egypt. He talked to Lebanon and Syria. He talked to every single tribe of the world and said, this is your problem. This is your problem. This is what you did. This is how you refused to repent. And this is how God's going to correct you. <laughs> and the, the story in history that was going on along with Isaiah's message is very important. In fact, it's so important to have a good understanding of the history, to, to really understand the prophets, you have to understand the history and the times that they're speaking to. And in Isaiah's time, Israel had been divided for, for, a long, for about a century or so. They were split. The northern nation was their own country, and the southern nation was their own country. It was as if the Civil War ended in a stalemate, and they had two countries now. And the north tended to be a little bit more naughty than the other. How many of you would say, I was the naughty one in my family? I was the troublemaker. I was the rebel. I was the black sheep. I had a thousand shades of black on, on my sheep. I was just naughty in a whole different way. And when it comes to Isaiah, he, he does this whole correction. The enemy, God says, I'm going to raise up Babylon. He comes in. He totally wipes out the northern part of the country. And then he's standing at the doorstep of Jerusalem. The Babylonians are in a big circle around it. And they send a messenger and they say, we're going to kill every last one of you. And Isaiah walks in in chapters 38, 35 to, to 39. He walks into the king's chamber and he says, thus says the Lord, not a single arrow will be shot at this city. And the way that the king went, came in, is the way that he's going to leave. And sure enough, the way that Isaiah prophesied it, this 250, quarter of a million man army minimum packed their bags and left. And then the next morning, Isaiah gets up and he writes what we're about to read. Imagine going through that experience, that horrific experience, and then for the remaining chapters of the book of Isaiah, he gives encouragement. I don't know where you're at in your life right now, but there is a time and a place for everything. God has a way of having to allow us to learn the hard way. Sometimes it's about God allowing us to go through difficult things because the devil says that, we, that our relationship with him is only based on his blessings and that if, we're, if, we're, if we experience real hardship, We'll, we'll, ba we'll bail on God, just like how Satan said about Job, let me, let me ruin his life, and he'll curse you to your face. Some of you watching this right now, whether online or in this room, you're facing sickness and disease and cancer. You're facing loss of loved ones and tragedy and difficulty. You're being crushed by the inflation, joblessness, and uh, lack of benefits, and we could go on and on and on. And hell is sitting there, talking to heaven, saying, that person only loves you because you do things for them, but if you do nothing for them and you let me have my way, I'll totally get them to curse you to your face, which means this is what's, what this means for us is, is that every day we face a difficulty and we make sure that we understand that God is not to blame, and we look up and we say, Lord, no matter what happens, I want you to know I love you and I'm going to glorify your name, I'm going to honor your name. That's a spit in the devil's face. And a, and a praise to heaven for walking the way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa, carrying your cross. You see, how you respond when you're squeezed tells a lot. 
I was on my way in this morning on the phone with my father. My father is, he's not, he's not doing good. He's in incredible pain. He's, he's got emphysema. He's got, uh, he's got several things the doctors don't know what is the cause of it. They have him pretty much on a permanent level of painkiller, and everything looks like hospice. And yet in the middle of it, my father's like constantly saying, God's been good to us, Paul. That is the overcoming life. You see, this is the problem is, is that there's a time for God to comfort us, but when we're going through a time of testing, a time of challenge, we don't say that God did it. What we understand is, is that there's evil in the world, there's evil in the hearts of men. The whole world itself is under the control of, of Satan, the power and the prince of this world, and he has a season because sin has come into this world to wreak havoc, and it's not God's fault, and God doesn't create the evil to teach us a lesson, but the Bible says that God works everything together for good for those that love him. And now Isaiah says, it's time to flip the story to comfort. Comfort. Comfort my people, says the Lord God. To, uh, speaking tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaiming to her that her hard service has been completed. How many of you are, have had a season in your life where it was like hard service and then that season ended and you're like, thank God I don't ever want to go back to that difficulty ever again. He's saying it's done, it's finished, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord, the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, God is going to bring blessing twice as good as the burden that was put on them. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Praise God. In other words, there's a season coming in your life where God's going to remove the obstacles that you're not going to be going uphill, downhill, valley, peak, valley, peak. God says, I'm turning this thing into the Midwest of America. It's going to be smooth sailing, Route 66. Get your car ready, baby. You're going cruising. And then he goes on and he says this, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? And with the breath of his hand has marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains in a scales? And the hills in a balance. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as counselor? Whom did the Lord consult or enlighten? And whom taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Look at me real quick, whether you're online or here in this house. Sometimes we go to God with an attitude and saying, what's up, Lord? Or you want to tell God, hey, let me tell you how to do this. Who do you think taught him? Who, who are we to go up to God and give him the truth? It's almost like a, a hundred-man army surrounded by a million soldiers, and somebody walks out 
and, and says, let me tell you how this is going to happen. You're going to lay down your arms and you're going to surrender and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be our slaves and we're going we're gonna to destroy your lands. And like, they, where's the terms for that? Like, how stupid is that? You don't have any right reason or even uh, level path to stand on to make those kinds of negotiations. And not to liken God to an enemy or anything like that, but that's as ridiculous as it is when we walk into the presence of God and we start venting to him, and believe me, God is strong enough, he can handle it, and he doesn't hold grudges. But sometimes when we walk through a difficulty, he's looking for us to, to glorify him by walking into his presence into praise instead of telling him off. Because God would answer like he did Job. That's really kind of what's going on here. Where were you when I formed the earth? If you know how it's supposed to happen and what's supposed to be, who taught, who taught you knowledge? Where were you when wisdom came into being? I think we easily overestimate ourselves and we forget who we're talking to. We're talking to God. And not that he throws his weight around inappropriately, but he says, surely the nations are a drop in the bucket. Put all the armies of the world against him. And it's just like your sink. That's about the hassle that the world's armies combined would be to God. A drop in a bucket. Do you guys know how to do this? <laughs> Childhood. Let me continue. Surely the nations are a drop in the bucket. They were regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs in the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing, and they are regarded as worthless and as nothing. To whom then will you compare God? To what image will you compare him? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions it in silver for it, a man too poor to present such an offering selects wood, and, will, and it, will it not rot? He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it, have it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not the understanding since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned on the circle of the earth. Think about this for a second. God just described the earth as a circle, which means those of you that believe in flat earth theory, the Bible is in disagreement with you. That's for a friend of ours. Before, before the world was circumnavigated, God was talking about the world as a circle. Before Columbus and the Vikings and the Phoenicians circled the world. God described the earth as a sphere. Hey, and that's pretty cool. And the people are like grasshoppers, and he stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in it. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, and no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground, and... He blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Hitler came and went. Ceausescu came and went. Put your political adversary in there all you want. God just goes, 
That's their lifespan to a timeless God. Look at this. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. We have billions of galaxies with countless stars. And you can purchase a star for a loved one and name it. But God had them all named before Adam took his first breath. That's mind-blowing. That's, that's what the Bible is saying right here, of who God is, his intelligence, his knowledge, his omniscience, his power, his omnipotence, his, his presence, seeing everything, his, his omnipresence. And he goes on and he says this. He says, verse 27, look at this. Because of his great power and his strength, not one of them is missing. He, talking about the stars, but God says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, and that's sometimes translated wait, because when you put hope in God, nine times out of ten, you're waiting for God. Most of us are waiting for God to bring the pain relief to our life. But a true follower of Christ, a true son and daughter of God, is able to wait with hope in the midst of suffering. We have that perspective because we know with whom we have given our life to. He says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. How big is God? I took the time in that chapter to read it because I think sometimes we don't really absorb everything around it. Most of us has probably run to the latter part of that chapter, and we say, even youth grow weary, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. And we usually say that at break time and work, right? Lord, renew me. <laughs> Give me strength. And we're in the middle of our tragedy and our difficult hour. But my question for you is this. How big is, how big is God? I'm not going to say how big is your God because there's only one God. Really, the problem when we say how big is your God, what the problem is is that we've made God too small in our own eyes. We, we shrink him. He starts off and he says this. As, as we get through this very, very quickly, I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 40, 18 and 12, he says it twice. He says, to whom then will you compare God? To what image will you compare him? Who are you going to compare people with? I, I'm going to ask real quick, um, Sam, come on up here, and Derek, come on up here. Just run. Like, that's literally like a, a run. Sam, you can run. I give you permission to run in church. I know I'm always yelling at kids for not doing it. Uh, now, look at this. Come, right, come in the middle right here. Stand, walk right up to the, step on up to the microphone. Here we go. Now, we can compare them because they're men. 
and handsome. Only one of them is available though, just for the record. So they're young and somebody said handsome for those of you that are watching online. They are handsome. Uh, we can compare them because they both have hair, right? <laughs> we can compare them because they're pretty much the same height. We can compare them because their eye color is similar but different. Hazel, I didn't... Yours are deep, deep brown. So, but who are you going to... Who are you going to compare to God? See, the problem is, is that some of us are comparing God to our deadbeat father. We're comparing God to our foul-mouthed friend. We're comparing God to a disappointing pastor. And God says, who are you going to compare me to? In other words, when we try to play the comparison game with God, what we're doing is, is we're creating God in our image, we're dragging him down to our level, and we're sizing him up, and we think that we're taking God's measurements where it's not even about that. God says, no, this is about temperature. You're on the wrong playing field. Thank you, guys. You can run off the platform. <laughs> or walk. Don't give my hand. They didn't do much up here. <laughs> Just kidding. God says, who are you going to compare me to? Who do you know that can do these things? And here's where he tries to use what they know to show them how big God is. He says this first. He says, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hands? Isaiah 40, 12. Who's measured the water in the hollow of his hands? We're called the big blue planet, right? On this earth, 71% of the surface is not dirt. It's salt water and fresh water. 71%. That means that a whopping 29% of the earth is everywhere that you have traveled or wish you could travel to or hope you never travel to or travel to again. Just 29% of that is earth. God says, who's measured the water in the hollow of his hands? Look at this. The, if the hollow of your hand is a biblical measurement. If I were to buy wheat or grain, I hold out my hand, I cup it, and I fill it. And when I come to the point where I don't spill it, that is the hollow of my hand. That's a measurement. One hollow, two hollows. Now, I don't know about you, but we just had a huge... Uh, for those of you that are online, do me a favor, give us a shout out if you experienced flooding in your basement. How many of you got flooding from that flash flood storm the other day? Am I the only one in this room? Oh, I hate all of you. <laughs> I was in the basement, like our sump pump died, and all of a sudden I saw this wall of water creeping across the basement, and I'm like, oh no, not now. Why does the sump pump die when I need it? And I am bailing water out of the floor and into the toilet, because it takes it out of the house. And so we're going there, and I'm telling you, my entire day was spent uh, yesterday and the day and, and Friday from about two when the rain started, about like one or two, clear through until the end of the evening, it was scooping water. We were using the carpet shampooer to pull up puddles, shop vacs, all kinds of crazy stuff. I was doing all that, and the only thing I had time in between was to make a Home Depot run, visit a dear uh, elder of ours and a friend at, uh, over, um, uh, actually Burger King, um, 
onion rings. Sorry, that was the best part of my weekend. And then uh, that was pretty much like it. I was scooping water. Like my back is sore from scooping water. It's crazy. The highest wave ever recorded is 112 feet. That was in 1933. But this one actually apparently beat it. And the little red circle in there is actually a surfer. Everybody say, stupid. Right? You ever get a wave crash on you that's just like a little over your head and you're like, oh, you get thrown around? What does that do? That like kills you. And then they've got guys on, uh, never mind, I'm not going to talk to you about it. But God says it like this. He says, who's measured the water in the hollow of his hands? Who do you know that can do that? Derek can't do that. The other gentleman up here, Sam, can't do that. In fact, there isn't anybody that can do that. And God says, will you please stop comparing me to what you know and begin to realize that there are some things that are just a whole lot bigger than your understanding or capacity to get them. And the reason that you don't have peace in your life is that you think that I can't spill, that I, I'm just going to, I can't handle your problems. I can't handle the curve in your life. I can't handle the difficulty. You might not be able to handle it, but you're not the one that has to. You just simply have to put yourself into the hands of God. How big is your God? Because he is so big that you can put the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Tepestrian Sea, the Baltic Sea, the Dead Sea, the, the, the uh, Arctica, the Antarctica, and you could even throw in all of the icebergs in the world, and he's going, still got room. God is big. And he wants us to realize that it's not us that has to handle things. It's us that need to trust that he handles them. Then he turns and he says this. After he says, who's measured the water in the hollow of his hands? He says, who can you compare? How big am I? He goes on and he says this. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on scales and, balances, uh, and the hills in a balance? Now, some of the larger mountains in the world, in Kenya, right on the edge of Kenya and uh, one other country, you have Mount Kilimanjaro, which is 19,340 feet. The largest mountain in America is Mount McKinley, 20,320 feet. And by the way, you have never seen mountains until you've been to Oregon and Washington. They're huge. That's about as close as you get before you see this. I remember taking my wife there, and I said, I, they got great mountains. She goes, yeah, yeah, I've seen mountains. Mount, Mount, Mount Washington in New Hampshire. I said, no, you don't understand. And then all of a sudden, we were driving down the road. The fog in the distance had finally lifted, and all of a sudden, the car goes, she goes, oh, my goodness. And I go, did somebody just hit us? She goes, look at those mountains. They're huge. And of course, you've got Mount Everest in Tibet, which is the highest mountain in the world, 29,028 feet, which, by the way, you could put one and a half of those in the deepest part of the ocean, which just goes to show just how deep and big the ocean is. And God says, hey, who do you know who can take all of those and have a beach day? You remember when you were a kid and you used to take the beach sand and you just, and you'd like 
you know, be looking for stuff, and you shoveled it, and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and um, real men can hold pink, by the way, but I don't hold pocketbooks, so don't ever ask me to hold yours. God says, all the mountains, all 29% of that dirt I can hold. And if he can hold the dirt of the world in his hand, he can handle the dirt in your life and clean you. God doesn't hate you and want nothing to do with you when you're coming up short of his standard. Read the Ten Commandments. That'll be a good way to measure how you're doing. He actually wants to close the distance and say, I can handle that. In fact, let me pour the water that I have in this hand and the dirt in there and let me clean off your life and give you a fresh start, a new beginning. How big is God? He's so big that he holds the oceans in one hand and he holds the mountains in another. And if God can hold the oceans and the mountains, then he can handle every hope and dream and catastrophe and setback in your life and still work it out for good. You see, I say all this to say this. It, I think a lot of people, as we talked about discipleship last week and we talk about God this week, I think a lot of people treat God like something between striking the lottery and a painkiller. And we think that Jesus loves you, he comes into your life, and God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And then when things go wrong, and things go sideways, we blame the devil, and we blame people, and we blame, well, this is because my mom did this to me, my, my dad tied my shoes too tight, and all of this kind of nonsense, and we pass the buck, and we don't own our junk, and, and, and God is sitting there, and he's, he's saying, wait a second, I didn't promise you that in this life you would have no trouble. In fact, Jesus said it like this, in this world you will have sorrow, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This little dash between the day you're born and the day you die is a time where hell is trying to get you to discredit and kick God out of your life, and God is saying, nope. I believe in that person, I died for that person, and even if life doesn't go well for that person, they will glorify me, they will shame hell, and I will bless them for all eternity. And Paul says it like this, the, 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 the sufferings of this world, the momentary and fleeting sufferings of this world cannot compare to the glory that we will receive when Christ comes. There's no comparison to the agony of cancer and the loss of loved ones, to being reunited with them and being with them for eternity. There's no comparison of a cleansed life than an entire life spent in filth and sin and the pleasure of this world that's fleeting. And God wants us to know this morning he's big enough to handle our dirt. He's big enough to hold our lives. And not only that, his reach touches everything. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Let me, uh, the whole worship team, let's do it. What was that second song we sung? Was that Lindsay? Yeah, that's the one. What a beautiful name. I remember when I was a kid,
um, there was like a whole bunch of like half dollars that fell into a grate and it was reaching in there trying to get you know just trying to get the the money because I, I forget it I, I didn't have the strength to lift it off I didn't even know you could lift it off but my hand I'm I they have them in where I grew up they have the metal grate but then they have an opening and so you can reach your arm around there and I'm like you know who knows I'm probably like rubbing up on dog dew but I don't care I want to get that money and every time I reached for it the tip of my finger would touch it and it was within my reach but the problem was it was outside of my grasp so I could touch it but I couldn't take it and I never got, I didn't get the money, you know, I was just so frustrated. And God says this as a final thought here for us in Isaiah 40. He says this, who do you know with the breath of his hand has marked off the hand, the heavens? Now the Hebrew word for this is actually the span. Just like how you would have the hollow of your hand for measuring grain, you would have a cubit, which is from the tip of your finger to your elbow. So this pulpit's one cubit and a half, one and a half. But then for closer things, you had a span from the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb. One span, two, three, and three quarters. Now ask me to measure from here to San Francisco and forget it. Can't do it. I could, but it'd be a waste of my life. But I'd be getting there. 4,337,000. I'll be 97 years old, you know? But look at the heavens. Our sun, 93,000 miles away, and your skin gets burnt from it, or at least mine does. The closest star to us, 4.3 light years away. In other words, that's 25 trillion miles. The closest star to us. The Milky Way galaxy, 100,000 miles light years away it's in its in its width we're in the we're kind of in the middle of it if you went from the beginning to the end of it it's a it's a hundred thousand light years of travel if you're traveling at the speed of light it's just go to the andromeda galaxy the nearest galaxy to us it's 2.2 million light years and then you could go to the further points like the the stefan's quinet uh, which is like 300 million light years away and in miles, I can't even tell you how much that is. And everywhere over the universe, that's a supernova that is still rippling out that probably exploded before Jesus even walked the face of the earth. And God knows them by name. Not only that, God says, you want to know how far the Andromeda galaxy is from you? Let me just put my thumb on earth and my pinky on the Andromeda galaxy. Yeah, one span. How can you compare... In fact, the comparison game actually creates a problem for our perception of God because God is so beyond what we can conceive and perceive. And if he is, then why is it that we run around like he's helpless and impotent and not willing to help us? Somewhere between the problem and the solution, sometimes the answer lies in our part. You see, God can just go the distance. God's like, I can handle this. He's saying, but... Share move. You've got the change to make. You've got to be consistent. You've got to talk to me. You've got to trust me. You've got to hope in me. And that's why he ends with, even youth grow tired and weary. But those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. Do you know why that is used? It's because of all birds in the face of the earth 
the only one that flies into hurricanes is an eagle. The very difficult storms that all birds hide from, an eagle uses and leverages to go places that no one else goes. And only the eagle gets to go through the storm into the eye. How big's your God? You can't, con you can't frame him. You can't contain him. And I wonder if we could just stand here. I wonder for those of you watching online, if you could pause your multitasking, which is actually an illusion. It's, and I'd wonder if you'd join me in prayer in this morning that we would just ask God to help us to reframe the fact that we can't fit God into the frame of the picture of our thinking. But we need to begin to wait patiently and trust without the answer. That's what wait on the Lord, hope on the Lord means. With a confidence to throw back your shoulders and stick out your ch chest and put up your chin and just say, you know what? My problem might be great, but my God is gigantic. My situation, I can't even begin to wrap my hand around. He holds me in the palm of his hand. My difficulty and my discouragement and my dirt in my life, yeah, it's all over me, but my God can actually wash me and hold me all at the same time. And I might feel like my problems are within my reach and outside of my grasp, like those coins in the grate. But there's nowhere that my God, the strong arm of the Lord, cannot reach. If God is not bringing reprieve and solution to your problem, it's because he's developing character within you through that problem. And you need to trust him in it. And that's our prayer this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your arm is not too short, that it can't reach. Your hand is not too small that it can't hold. And you're not a klutz. But there's things that we need to do. We need to have a, a better ability to hope and wait. We need to trust before the answer. We need to have confidence that we can't even frame you properly. You're a big God. And we glorify you today. And you have given your son the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Death could not hold you. Father, we pray that that resurrection power and that name of Jesus that you have given us for that God that is so indescribable and uncomparable, would be the one we trust in this week, this month, the end of this year, and for 2022. You're a big God. In Jesus' name, we put our trust. Let's sing this song. Thank you again for being with us today. If you want to watch this or listen to it again, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And for all news and updates about what's happening here at the church, you can go to ne-cc.org or lowellag.org. Thank you and God bless.